Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Paul Nichols. I am the investor coach and host of It's Your Money, the podcast that was designed to pull back the curtain on the financial services industry and expose the truth about money and investing. Thanks for listening. Yes, it has been a while since I've been on here, and for you loyal listeners that have reached out, thank you for your prodding. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you go to create uh, uh, media stuff and, and content on a regular basis, you, you, you know folks are listening to it, but when you don't get feedback, it feels like you're throwing it out into, the, into space, you know, and so uh, thank you very much for the feedback. Uh, that we uh, we get from you guys, and I know that you appreciate the content. So uh, uh, we're going to create some here. We're going to do a quick market update. It's been a while. Here we are, mid-year, 2019. Uh, we're heading toward the closeout of the second quarter of the year. Uh, it has been a very good year uh, by comparison uh, to the way last year, 2018, ended, which dove off a cliff at the very end. In fact, it was one of the worst December's we've ever had uh, as they've recorded uh, financial uh, data. However, 18 has been volatile. It's, it's been rocky. And, uh, uh, you know, as I think about doing these art market updates on a regular basis, I was thinking, why haven't I done one for a few months now, uh, several months now? And it's because nothing's really changed. It's interesting. I, I, was, I analyze it every morning. I spend a couple few hours reading and listening and primarily listening to a lot of interviews from CEOs, not just the investment portion of the media and how they want to make uh, investing entertainment. Most of what you read is is opinion and what have you. But I like to listen to the actual CEOs and, and the types of people that are actually in the boardrooms making the decisions. But uh, it's interesting because not much has changed since the end of last year. Uh, as a quick reminder, toward the end of last year, we had some turmoil uh, in the market. We had a, a decent year, uh, but it closed out uh, in the negative roughly eight, nine, 10%, respectively five to 10, depending on where you are. Um, and so it wasn't a very pleasant ride toward the end of the year. But what precipitated that, understand that when you, let me digress for a moment. When you look at investing, the rules are relatively simple. There's three of them. Own equities, that's stocks, bonds, own equities, diversify, umbrella, suntan lotion, and rebalance from Actuals back to targets. Actuals back to target. Not based on news. News would be nothing more than noise, according to the academics. Then you might say, well, why does news change the market? Well, news doesn't. It's people's reaction to the news. Uh, and they really believe that they can beat the market. It goes back to really an investment philosophy. If I want to get into investing 101, do you believe the market is efficient or do you believe it's inefficient? If you believe it's inefficient, then you would be the type of person that would constantly study trends and look for patterns and these types of things that you can take advantage of. Uh, but there's no empirical proof uh, that holds out that the market is inefficient. In fact, the vast preponderance of proof uh, certainly uh, leans to the fact that it's efficient. And thereby, if it is efficient, then own equities diversify and rebalance would be the formula to apply that reality. That is to take advantage of the efficiencies, okay? So once you understand that, we know that news doesn't have a huge bearing uh, short-term now or long-term. Long, short-term, it feels like a little bubble. It's like a speed bump on uh, the investing highway. 
But when you look at it long-term or even medium-term, it, it often means nothing. It's just, the idea is what happens is people believe they can meet the, beat the market. These are professionals in the industry, believe they can beat the market. All that creates an awful lot of volume in trading every day. And for those of us that have a more academic-minded uh, pursuit of the market, because the empirical evidence is extremely clear, uh, that one should just own the market as a whole, I recognize that it does vacillate based on news and people's reaction to the news, that one shouldn't react to that, but rather they should have very set rules and filters and so on that take the human involvement out of the process. So that's kind of investing 101. So back to my point, why haven't we made a podcast for several months? Because nothing's changed. We're dealing with the same couple, really three issues that are kind of driving the volatility in the market. It seems like... Uh, uh, some of the names have changed, but the sentiment is still the same. And what are those three issues? Well, primarily, primarily now, they would be uh, the trade deals. And the predominant one would be China that's lingering uh, because it has such a uh, large effect on a lot, so many products and, and stuff move back and forth. Uh, but there's so many different uh, uh, ideas and solutions to offset uh, uh, the trade deal. But the reality is this, that there's a trade, whether you're whatever, doesn't matter what camp you're in, there is a trade uh, negotiation going on. Uh, and the market, a lot of the players in the market believe the market is inefficient. So they want to look for inefficiencies based on different news and try to get a heads up on uh, the trend that may take place. Meaning, uh, are we going to have a deal or not? Or when would we have a deal? And what would the deal look like? So, so trade has been uh, a major factor really in the last 18 months or so uh, as it relates to the market. Economically, by every standard you can look at in the U.S., things are good. I mean every standard, ladies and gentlemen. It's incredible. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen an economy like this. So the economy is very good. Then people might say, well, why are we having the rumblings in the market? Well, that has to do with these three issues, and that is the perception of the vast majority of the money movers and, and people that do a lot of the trading. I mean, think about a billion shares in excess, in excess of a billion shares of trading every day. These are supposed to be smart people. These are supposed to be well-educated. These, some might argue, would be the cream of the crop as it relates to understanding finance and economics. But they're, they're, they're initiating and continuing to pursue this, this rabbit, rabbit trading uh, that, that, that just creates revenue losses for those that are investing. So how can so many smart people be wrong so often that they need to have billions of shares of trading every day? I think it makes the point uh, that it's not about owning the market and investing long-term, it's about transactional revenue. So when you understand that this perception uh, creates mindsets where people actually believe they can beat the market out there. That's why you see all the volatility. Now, for those of us that are more prudently minded, that own equities, diversify and rebalance, this really doesn't affect us other than the effect of the market. And we, we see that in our accounts because of the red day, green day, it's an up day, it's a down day. Now, that's normal in the market. And I can't say we've seen any more than we've historically always seen. I will tell you, though, that the news is more profound. It has a larger impact. There's more conversation. There's more sources of news that then create more conversation and conversation generally when people don't understand certain things leans to the negative, not toward the positive. Why am I saying all this? Because sometimes 
even though the market's doing well and we, and we see this, this, this vacillation and this volatility, this up and down, I mean, a reasonable person is going to have some pause. So when we have these trade deals going on, which overall seem to be positive for the U.S., and I'm speaking purely from an economic perspective, okay, uh, as a finance person, um, so, but we're still de- we're dealing with the rockiness of it. Is it going to be good or bad in the long run? I don't know. I will tell you. Uh, other than uh, the players involved, you take the names away from the process, the vast majority of people would give a thumbs up to the direction that we've been heading. Um, so that's neither here nor there as it relates to the reality of where we are today, but the market is vacillating based on the unknown of when that thing is going to play out. The second issue, the Federal Reserve, and the fact that they have such a What's the word I'm looking for? Such a, I want to say monumental, but that's not right. Such a strong impact on the market whenever they change rates. See, the Fed Reserve dictates the interest rates that banks borrow money. So if they feel the, the economy is going a certain way, they might raise interest rates. If the economy is going another way, they might lower interest rates. So when you look at market players and the people in the market, they are looking at one side, they're looking at the trade things going on. They're looking at the other side, and they're looking at, well, what's the Federal Reserve going to do? So that creates uh, uncertainty, and the uncertainty leads to volatility. For those of us that are prudently invested, and I hope that's you, own equities, diversify, rebalance, a global-based portfolio in all the countries around the world, small companies, large companies, everything, in a global-based portfolio, you're going to get whatever is up. The volatility means nothing to us because it goes up, it goes down, you rebalance, you take advantage of other people panicking and freaking out, okay? But the reality of the situation is we have this trade, ongoing trade cloud, and I wouldn't call it a black cloud, but cloud. Uh, We have uh, the looming reaction to the Fed, which the market is very sensitive about. Interest rates are the underlying pinning of all investments, so that environment has a bearing. Then we're dealing with the third thing. And the third thing is something that's not spoken of much, um, uh, but I will tell you, um, without getting into a a vast amount of detail to confuse you, uh, that the inflation and or current interest rates that we have, uh, and and we've had them for a decade now. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. We've had interest rates at historic lows for year after year after year. So when you look at a prudent portfolio using modern portfolio theory and applying the science, you're going to have a certain amount of your money in a fixed arena. Fixed, you know, think of it as cash in the bank to make it simple. Well, if interest rates are very low, and here you are trying to keep a segment of your money, especially folks that are retired, might lean toward having a much larger portion in a fixed arena, for the last decade, they haven't received any interest rate, hardly, to speak of. I mean, you could really, literally, put your money in a mattress over putting it in a bank uh, because uh, just erosion of inflation um, is going to create a situation um, where you're going to have less buying power without some growth. So what I guess what I'm trying to say to you is a lot of the folks uh, in the senior arena, the people that are close to retirement, I understand that the current market volatility plays a little heavy on you, a little heavier than normal, because you're thinking, wow, interest rates have been in the, in the can here for 10 years. When's that going to change? I don't know. But it does speak to the reality, the prudent reality, 
that one needs to understand a little bit about how the market works to make sure that they have their portfolio set up in a way, their investment, their nest egg, their life savings set up in a way that it is getting some growth to keep away from inflation and at the same time giving them growth so that they have appreciation as well as keeping up with inflation long term if they screw the deal up and live longer than they planned. I mean, you know, most people I find, you know, the biggest concern they have is running out of money before they run out of time. But if you're getting good advice and you're getting an understanding uh, the basics of investing and and well-diversified overall financial plan, those concerns shouldn't be concerned. See, what I have found is most people do not worry or fret over the reality of their situation that they don't like. They may not like it, but they don't fret over it. But I, what I'll tell you drives people crazy. And what creates the most fret and concern for them is thinking they should know something that they don't. And with investing and finance, they throw that out there all the time. They want to treat us like mushrooms, you know, keep us in the dark, uh, a lot of people. So people are intimidated by this rather than understanding investing's really not that complicated. You just need to get someone who has uh, the gumption and the courage to kind of whisk to the side a little bit of the industry and, and show you the real deal, to pull back the curtain on the financial services industry and expose the truth about money and investing, which we've been doing for almost two decades, I'm proud to say. So I'm trying to be reassuring here. That's the point of my message here. For those of you not to fret, the market's going to be up, it's going to be down, it's going to be volatile. There's a reason for it. It can be explained, but there's nothing that needs to be done. There's nothing that needs to be fixed if you already have a well-diversified portfolio. In fact, let's jump on the market update because you're getting these returns, ladies and gentlemen, if you, uh, if you have a well-diversified portfolio. Let's talk about it real quick. Now, understand, in a well-diversified portfolio, you're going to own all the different aspects of the market. So we're going to hit on some of those. Let's look at the S&P 500. How's the S&P 500 or U.S. large companies doing year-to-date 2019? This is as of June 12th, 2019. Year-to-date, almost 15% large is up. Large growth is up almost 15%. How about large value? These wouldn't be growth companies, but value companies. Almost 14%, 13.5%. let us look at Russell 2000. This looks at small and micro growth companies. Not large value, not large growth, but small growth companies. So this would be the Russell 2000 index, which measures the performance of those types of companies, 13 and a quarter percent to the good. This is year to date, 2019, as of June 12th. Let's move into the value area of small companies. You got U.S. large, U.S. small, U.S. large value, U.S. small value, and small value is about 10 and a quarter. So we're double digits across the board in the U.S., ain't it great? Yay, team, gotta love it. Love it when it's up. Love it when it's up. Okay. Hey, listen. We all love volatility, don't we? When it's up, not when it's down, of course. How's the international marketplace doing? Well, we use Morgan Stanley Capital International Index to look at that. And so let's look at the, uh, uh, the MSCI, which would be the Morgan Stanley Capital International World Index, uh, which is basically designed to measure the equity performance of developed countries. These would be like Australia, Belgium, Finland, Germany, Hong Kong, Ireland, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, just name a few. UK, 12.7%. 12.7%. This is why you're invested internationally. You never know what's going to happen. Now, it could be negative. 
you know, the idea is to get a market rate of return annually. That's the whole goal, okay, to get a market rate of return. And sometimes it's not a positive rate, okay? But over the long term, it always has been. It always hits new highs. How are we doing on the Morgan uh, Stanley Capital International EFA? That'd be Europe, Australia, and the Far East. Well, it's about 12 and a quarter as well. It's doing very well. Let's go ahead and look at the Morgan Stanley. Uh, let's see, this would be the Morgan Stanley value. I just gave you the growth. This would be the EFA value, which is 8.26. That would be one of the laggards. So uh, in the larger markets internationally, uh, large companies, uh, they're up about 12 and a quarter, but value companies are about eight and a quarter, still respectable. When we look at small Europe, Australia, Far East, it's 11.62. And when we look at emerging markets, this would be the uh, laggard for the market update as of June 12, 2019. 7.33 is the emerging markets index. Emerging markets would be countries like Argentina, Chile, Colombia, Egypt, Hungary, Israel, Korea, Malaysia, Philippines, Africa, Taiwan, to name a few. So across the board, the market's doing great. It's a beautiful thing. We love it. Uh, barrel of oil, 69, almost 70 bucks, and we're paying three bucks a gallon. Someone help me with that one. Someone help me figure that one out, okay? Gold, ounce of gold, 1,200, where it's going to stay for a while. Went up to 1,800 when the interest rates went in the crapper in 2008. Gold is nothing but a panic play. It's a hedge against inflation. If you owned a well-diversified portfolio, ladies and gentlemen, you're already going to own gold. So to own gold outside of a well-diversified portfolio, we would look at that as doubling down. If you want to own something that's worth, something that's barterable, this is the argument. I'm going to go to my doomsday thing. People, the argument people make for gold uh, is, well, geez, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, at least I can trade for gold. Folks, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, gold's going to be worthless as well. I'll tell you what would be worth money. Medicine, drugs, alcohol, guns, uh, gasoline, generators. I mean, these are the things that are worth money. I mean, come on. You know, it's interesting. I love the guys that get on TV and sell the gold, you know. Gold, when has it ever been worth nothing? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the stock market, when has it ever been worth nothing? I mean, give me a break. You know, uh, it's interesting. I get all fired up when I see these commercials. There's not a commercial out there that if you take a few minutes with somebody who understands what's going on in any field of endeavor that you could probably pick apart and say, okay, well, there's marketing and there's reality. So perception is reality, unfortunately, in the area of finance. There's an awful lot of manufactured perception. So I would encourage you, to get educated. You don't have to trust. You don't have to go with the trust model in finance, okay? You can find someone that can pull back the curtain a little bit, show you what's going on. You can make some good quality decisions. Hey, listen, thank you for listening. Some of this is Paul's opinion. You're welcome to it. I appreciate you listening um, and prodding me to create more content. Thank you very much. I hope that this enriches your life in some way. If you ever have any questions or concerns about finance or anything that we might share on here and need some clarity, please feel free to reach out to us uh, via email, faicoach.com, faicoach.com, or you can call us, 866-867-5745. This is Paul Nichols, president of Financial Abundance, registered investment advisory firm in State College, PA, pulling back the curtain and exposing the truth. Thanking you. Have a wonderful day. Look forward to talking to you down the road.